If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com 1212 This is our number 1 of the world according to Zig podcast for this July 2nd 2017 My name is John Ziegler I am the host of this program which is basically the last chance where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media and sports and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Hope you're enjoying the very extended 4-day 4th of July holiday. Uh we did not take this week off for a couple different reasons and thankfully we did not because as is usually the case in the era of Trump There is a ton to talk about. First of all, uh, in hour number 2, we're excited to be joined at least as scheduled by Evan McMullen, who was a, a third-party candidate for president who uh, nearly won Utah in the 2016 election. He was the anti-Trump conservative candidate and uh, he is uh, scheduled to be joining us in hour number 2, which we're very excited about. Interestingly, Our guest that was originally scheduled for last week, although I was thrilled with former Congressman Joe Walsh, who ended up filling in and doing a fantastic job and you should check out the article the Mediate did about our interview with Joe Walsh at freespeechbroadcasting.com, but we originally scheduled to speak with CNN's media guy, hosts reliable sources on Sunday, Brian Stelter. And I'm not usually baffled by things that happen in the news media especially in retrospect I'm usually able to go oh okay that's what happened here this makes sense not here because uh Stelter although I have a theory Stelter was scheduled last Sunday and he was scheduled for a long time like nearly a month and I had to go through you know an assistant at CNN one of those stooges who you know they're basically paid to say no but she was very helpful seemingly and very enthusiastic hey we'd love to do this Brian was like yeah sure let's do it set it up through uh, the assistant and like a couple hours before the podcast I got an email something has come up Brian can't do this uh but we might be able to reschedule or maybe I think she even said we can reschedule for July 9th and I responded Hey, this is really pretty unprofessional to do this at the last minute, uh, you know, for no apparent reason. I never got a response. I emailed Brian directly, never got a response. And now it's important to point out that clearly behind the scenes at this point, 
Because a big story that would break on Monday would be three CNN employees resigned over a story involving Trump and Russia. And I guess it's possible that they put a shutdown on all CNN-related interviews because they knew that was coming down. And maybe because I'm a conservative, although everyone knows I'm an anti-Trump conservative, somehow this was more on their radar or more concerning to CNN. I have no idea. But that doesn't explain why there's been no ability to reschedule even after they offered him up (laughs) for July 9th, which I'm not expecting for next week. And it's a shame because I I really wanted to speak to Brian in a very respectful way. I actually agree with him on some things, disagree with him on others. But I think he has some you know, interesting insight on the issue of the media. And I think we could have had a very fascinating back and forth. I'm still going to try to schedule him, but I'm just not optimistic. I just have no idea why. I just have no idea as to what was really going on. I get the short-term situation. And you know, now that CNN is being um, pile-drived figuratively via presidential tweets, as occurred today, it would be uh, even more Uh, compelling to speak to uh, someone who is a media person at CNN since uh, the president has decided that CNN is public enemy number one, even a bigger enemy apparently than the morning show on MSNBC, Morning Joe. Uh, But we'll talk about all of that uh, in short order, but I just wanted to give you an update on uh, Brian Stelter. I'll continue to try, but I'm not optimistic. I just have no idea why. Now, This is a week that in a remotely sane world, and I know we don't live in that world, clearly now we do not. They they run the world. There's no question about that. And and the world we now live in is different than anyone we're ever gonna we've ever lived in in the past. What difference at this point does it make? Well, may not make any difference, Hillary. But uh, but here's the reality: in a rational world, we would be talking about the. Republican Senate's attempts to try to finally fulfill the seven-year-long promise by the GOP of repealing Obamacare, because that's what was supposed to happen this week. There was even tentatively a vote scheduled. Remember that? I know that was a long time ago. There was even a vote that was tentatively scheduled, and then it got unscheduled, and then before the 4th of July uh, recess where there was supposed to be uh, action. And then finally they decided, you know what? We don't have the votes. Screw it. We'll do this later. And now, apparently, there's this new renewed push to just repeal and then replace later, which was an idea that was already rejected because it was too politically perilous. Although, to me, that's what I thought we were promised. I mean, I thought the repeal was the most important part. What we've been getting in the House and what's been discussed in the Senate really isn't a repeal. It's just a remaking of. And what I've, what I've always said is the worst part of the remaking, it's not just that you're not fulfilling your promise. You're institutionalizing, effectively, socialized medicine, and you are forever doing so under the GOP mantle, which means now you get all the blame for anything that goes wrong. And guess what? The news media will suddenly be exceedingly interested in things that go wrong in the healthcare system as soon as it's no longer called Obamacare. Once it's called Trump Care, guess what? You own everything, GOP. You 
you know, you break it, you own it. As I think Colin Powell once famously said before we went into Iraq. So the, the reality is that uh, this is going nowhere. It's been a disaster. And I think that that might have played a major role in why Trump has spent the latter part of this week getting in various media dust-ups. Not because he's some strategic genius trying to distract people from his failures, but because he feels impotent and realizes he can't govern. And the only place where he knows he can get a reaction and get 50,000 or 100,000 people to retweet him and tell him how great he is, is on Twitter. But again, we'll get more on that in a second. But this healthcare thing is really uh, a joke at this point. It, it, there's no sign that anything is going to pass the Senate. It still could, but it appears as if even the president is starting to come to the recognition that that promise that he made 150 times on the campaign trail is not going to be fulfilled. And it's getting very close. We're not there yet, but it's getting very close to the wall. Remember the wall? <laughs> Remember that wall that he talked about 550 times at least? On the campaign trail? Never talk about that anymore, do we? Just pretend that, oh, let's, let's just pretend that never really happened. That never really happened. No, no, that was just hyperbole. We're not supposed to take him literally. It's figurative. And I, and I love the Trumpsters. My favorite of all the, the Trumpster insanity. My favorite is the people that, that gravitated towards him at the beginning because of the promise to build the wall. Now they're just satisfied with an apparent statistical decrease in the level of illegal immigrants coming into the country, which is flat out. It's just flat out ridiculous. It's hilarious because, first of all, that wasn't the promise. Two, they're still coming in. They're just not coming in at the same rate. And three, it's temporary, folks, because the only reason why they're not coming in right now is because... They think Trump's for real. They haven't gotten the memo yet that he's a big fat fraud. So eventually they're going to get it and it's going to go right back to the way it was. And oh, by the way, where are the deportations? I was promised millions of deportations. I was promised a deportation force. I live in Southern California in the heart of illegal immigrant country. I can assure you there is no fear. Of, of mass deportations starting anytime soon. And we are still giving free everything to the children of illegal immigrants, some of whom are illegal immigrants themselves at our public school system. And I mean everything. I'm talking about breakfast. I'm talking about lunch. I'm talking about clothing. Anything that, uh, transportation. Anything they need, they want, they get first class, by the way. So... None of that's going to change. It was all bull crap. It was all a big fat lie to manipulate stupid people. You know who the stupid people are, right? I love the poorly educated. Right. Those that are easily manipulated who don't understand the way the system works. So healthcare is now very close. The, the repealing of Obamacare is very close to the wall. Not quite there yet. McConnell, I would like to believe, is smart enough to figure out at least a not-as-bad option as others. I still maintain, although this would, you know, you always make, you should make decisions in life based upon where you are, not where you should be, not where you thought you would be, not where you were. 
This is one of the biggest mistakes people make in life. I've made it many times myself. You make decisions based upon where you are. If we were going to go with the, you know what, we tried to pass it, we just couldn't make it work politically, Washington's too broken, we're going to keep Obamacare and it's going to implode on its own. If that was the plan from the beginning, I think that would have had a chance of maybe sort of working politically, I mean. Because at that point, then you might have had the political will to radically alter Obamacare. Obamacare is ironically as popular as it has ever been. Not that it's particularly popular, but it's in some polls, even a Fox News poll, it's now got majority support for the first time. So you're trying to undo something that's fairly popular, which will cause enormous short-term strain and hardship for which you'll get all the blame. Now, unfortunately, as we've learned with government shutdowns, Republicans will get the blame for anything that happens. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Because they should have either stopped it or, you know, they had control of government. Even if Obamacare, that's going to love, I'm going to love that one. If Obamacare does implode on its own, Republicans will still be blamed because they didn't stop it. (laughs) Because they had the presidency, the House, and the Senate. So you can't win for losing. But the reality is Trump has no idea what he's doing. He is not a person who can govern. He's not a good negotiator. He doesn't understand the process. He doesn't understand the issue. After all, he's the one who said, who knew it was so complicated? Nobody knew healthcare was complicated, he told us. Well, that's the first clue that you don't have a freaking idea what the hell you're doing. Because anybody who's ever even looked at this for five minutes knows that this issue is exceedingly complicated and why it's almost impossible to thread this needle politically between conservatives and moderates and do so in a way where the Republican Party doesn't have a freaking bloodbath in 2018 on its hand or maybe 2020. And I still believe that we're headed towards a, uh, a very likely scenario where either after 2018 or maybe after he gets reelected president, which I think is more likely than a lot of people believe, that we have President Trump giving us single-payer, completely 100% government-funded socialized medicine, which he will, I'm sure, hold a victory celebration for in the Rose Garden. Won't that be hilarious? To have a second celebration several years later with Democrats cheering him for the very very same issue where he prematurely held a Rose Garden ceremony. Remember that a month or so ago for passing out of one chamber barely when everybody who knew anything about the process knew that it was a long way from actually becoming law. But making laws... And affecting real change and truly making America great again is not Donald Trump's goal. He lives day by day. He just wants people to think he's great. And only, by the way, certain people. His cult. He wants cult 45 to think that he's great. And he wants attention. And therein, I believe, was the foundation or is part of the foundation for some of the biggest news stories of this week, which involve... Donald Trump tweeting. Now, the issue of his tweeting is interesting because I don't know what the percentage is, 
But I'm guessing a majority of the country, and maybe even a fairly significant majority of the country, has no idea what he's tweeting. None. Because they're not on Twitter. And yeah, it gets reported, and CNN obsesses about it, and MSNBC obsesses about it. Fox barely covers it. The network news, not as many people are watching anymore, and they only have, you know, 10 seconds to to give to it, or maybe 30. And so my guess is that a, a huge percentage of the population has no idea what he's even doing. Now, his cult, the cult 45, you know, those who will believe him every time, they are all on Twitter. And that's why everything he does gets retweeted at least 10,000 times. And today got retweeted well over 100,000 times because he tweeted out a video of him back when he was participating in a pro wrestling event. This was real video. This actually happened. Somehow this didn't become an issue in the campaign, which is just mind-blowing to me. How, How during the GOP primary, every GOP voter did not see Donald Trump beating people up during a pro wrestling event, which of course is fake, uh, how that wasn't an issue, wasn't even remotely an issue in the GOP primaries back in 2015, 2016 is completely beyond me. I'm baffled by that, but everything about that process was incredibly confusing. So Trump tweets out this video, but the video has been edited. And the head of the person he's beating up, he's clotheslining, slamming to the ground, punching, getting up victoriously after having defeated, that face has been covered up with a CNN logo. So effectively, the president, while referring to them as fraud news, and they even created his own logo for CNN, being the fraudulent news network. So effectively, he's showing himself beating up CNN. So presidential, just so so presidential. And Trump will be the first to admit now that it's not presidential because last night he tweeted out that his tweets aren't presidential. They're modern day presidential. He actually said that. It's modern day presidential. See, you're old fashioned if you think it's not presidential to tweet out the president beating up a news organization. (laughs) This just a couple of days after he tweeted about the low IQ and alleged facelift from which she was bleeding of a female television uh, personality, Mika Brzezinski from Morning Joe Show on MSNBC, which created another big firestorm. I mean, several of these firestorms. And I, you know, I am not someone who believes that Trump is playing chess. We've long ago destroyed the fallacy that Trump is playing eight-dimensional chess and he's a genius and that you have to understand that there's a motive and a plan and a strategy behind everything he does. <laughs> Somebody today, this week tweeted out, he's not playing eight-dimensional chess. He's, he's playing one-dimensional shoots and ladders. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which I think might be more accurate than what I've been giving him credit for is that he's just a really bad 
checkers player, that he's like a six-year-old checkers player. Ooh, let me jump this piece today. Because this piece right now, that's cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to take this piece today. Forget about what happens on the next 13 moves when I get crushed. So, so anyway, I don't believe that this is all sort of some calculated plan of distraction. Although, as I've already said, I do think the failure on healthcare helped provoke this. I also think another thing that no one's mentioning provoked this, which was that early in the week, Trump, out of nowhere, tweeted about the Washington Post. See, it's all about anti-media, and it's just, it pains me so much as a guy who made a documentary film called Media Malpractice, How Obama Got Elected, who despises the mainstream news media more than anybody else I know on a substantive basis, having lived through the wars, having the battle scars to prove it. It pains me to see this issue hijacked by a liberal con man who's doing it completely because it's in his own self-interest, whether it's out of distraction or to inoculate his cult against criticism, whatever it is, whether it's specifically don't believe anything about Russia, which why would you need to focus so much energy on getting your cult not to believe anything about Russia unless, of course, there was something about Russia that was concerning or that you knew was going to come out. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but that's by far his biggest beef with CNN. But if we go back to the beginning of the week, it wasn't MSNBC. It wasn't CNN who was the focus. It was what Trump referred to as the Amazon Washington Post. He tweeted out out of nowhere that Amazon Washington Post, I'm sure, you know, some fake news deal, and said that Amazon, they should be paying taxes, internet taxes, whatever the hell they are, since when are Republicans in favor of internet taxes? And he strongly implied that the owner of Amazon, who does own the Washington Post, was using the Washington Post so that he doesn't have to pay taxes, which, one, shows you the way Trump thinks about taxes, and two, exposes that he has no flipping clue about the way our tax system works because that's not how it would work. The owner of Amazon personally owns the Washington Post. That doesn't help Amazon not pay taxes at all. Not even close. Yet that's what the president tweeted. So there were so many problems with this tweet. It's amazing how someone who's president or someone who's anybody could be as wrong as many times in 140 characters as Donald Trump regularly is. It's difficult. It's difficult. You know, I get pissed off if I have a typo in a tweet. But to be wrong two, three, four times in one 140-character tweet is remarkable. But here's what happened with that. Nothing. Nothing. Amazon's stock didn't tank. There was no major firestorm over it. People didn't lose their crap. And I think Trump was like, well, what the hell is that all about? Wait wait, wait a minute. I think he was expecting that was going to be the big firestorm distraction from healthcare where he would be able to jazz up his base, fight the media. I, I think that 
saying that Amazon should be paying internet taxes probably sucked a lot of the energy out of that. But I think Trump was shocked. Like, wait a minute, my magic wand didn't work. So let me try it again. Let me amp it up. Let me let me amp up the battery here. And now we're going to go after MSNBC and Mika and Joe and low IQ Mika. And by the way, she had a facelift and she was bleeding from it. And she was kissing my ass over New Year's Eve. And I said, no, because I'm a big, bad ass. I'm, I'm the alpha male. I'm in charge of Morning Joe, <laughs> which is a... To be fair, Trump was accurate in describing as a low-rated morning show on a liberal network. This is in the middle of the health care, the crux of the health care debate, folks. Seven years we've been waiting for a chance to repeal Obamacare. It's being debated in the U.S. Senate after being sort of passed in the House of Representatives. All of his focus should be on that. And he's creating media firestorms over Joe and Mika. Seriously. Seriously. And that doesn't piss you off if you actually care about the promises that he made. If you care about making America great again, that should piss you off. But if you're a cult member, you think, yeah, awesome, man. Stick it to them. Stick it to those assholes. Again, I'm the guy who hates the media more than anybody. I've had run-ins with Joe and Mika myself. I I used to be on Joe Scarborough's show a lot back when he was a conservative doing evenings on MSNBC. This was before MSNBC became a full-on liberal network during the Obama primary season. See, that's when MSNBC became full-on liberal. And Joe Scarborough turned into a liberal the moment he got the morning gig. Because he realized that was the only way he was going to be able to survive on MSNBC, especially in the age of Obama. And he and I had it out a few times on the air over Sarah Palin and other issues when he was a liberal. And I've been very critical of him, sometimes to his face. I've appeared on their... He used to have a radio show with Mika, who he's now engaged with, Uh which was bizarre because on the radio show, he pretended to be a conservative because that audience was conservative. But on television, he was a liberal because that audience was MSNBC. So the guy is a flipping fraud, all right? Which is interesting why he and Trump have gotten along so well at times. And I wrote a column about this, which you can see at freespeechbroadcasting.com, telling what I believe to be the real story of Joe and Mika and Trump. One, they're basically birds of a feather. They just want attention. They want ratings. They want their gigs. And Joe and Mika have played the Trump phenomenon to their advantage at every plot twist. And I've said numerous times that a lot of what Trump's doing here is he's orchestrating a reality TV show. He needs plot twists. And so he decided... Well, this healthcare plot twist sucks. <laughs> so I need something better. How about going after Joe and Mika? And then after that dies down a little bit, how about if I put a logo of CNN over somebody's face when I knock the crap out of them? That'll be awesome. That'll get over 100,000 retweets. As if that's what he got elected to do. My 
theory on what happened here, because now Scarborough and Mika are claiming this was blackmail, that Trump blackmailed them with a negative story in the National Enquirer. Now, if you remember, if you've been a fan of the old radio show, and you've listened to this podcast, I have said numerous times in the last year plus, watch the National Enquirer for what's really going on with Trump. Because the National Enquirer is effectively his voice box, his voice box. That's effectively what he wants out there. But Fox News Channel has slightly too much dignity to do for him. And frankly, by the way, the National Enquirer reaches an audience that Fox News Channel does not. People forget how powerful the front page of the National Enquirer is. It is by far the most looked at piece of paper in the country on a weekly basis because it is in every supermarket checkout line and it's right there. And so what's on the cover of the National Enquirer matters. And I would say at least 60% of the time, maybe more in the last year, that cover has clearly been dictated either by Trump or by someone who was working on behalf of Trump and was guessing what Trump might like. We've seen this numerous times. And so Scarborough's claim and Mika's claim is that they had a story, the National Enquirer did, on them cheating on their spouses, which, by the way, who would be surprised by that? I mean, they were both married. Now they're engaged. They've been working together for many years. Of course there was cheating. Of, I mean, duh. <laughs> That's not a, a startling revelation. I mean, especially, by the way, people in the media, they sleep around on everybody. So That's just, that's just the nature of who they are. I, I don't know what the percentages are, but I, I'm sure it's more than even the average human being because they have no morals they have no principles it's all about themselves plus there's access they're they're working together every single morning so there's this story that they don't want out there and scarborough's story is that the white house he's implying the white house called him and said hey look if you want this stopped then just talk to the president apologize for your mean coverage of him for the last several months and maybe he'll spike the story for you now, I don't believe that, even though I'm, I'm willing to believe just about anything about Trump and the White House. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think there's more to this story. Now, the White House version is that Scarborough came begging to them. I don't really necessarily believe that either because Joe is really far out there and he's claiming to have proof of these phone calls and who called whom, although he's not making that public, which I'll acknowledge is highly suspicious because he ought to, given the nature of the allegations against a sitting president. You know, it's an old adage that the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. When you've got two lying sacks of shit like Joe Scarborough and Donald Trump, I'm more than willing that the truth is somewhere in the middle. My theory, and I haven't fleshed this out 100%, but it's just a basic theory, is this. At some point in the past, probably when Joe and Mika were more concerned about infidelity stories coming out in, say, the National Enquirer because their engagement had not yet been announced and they haven't they hadn't survived that storm. They were probably worried, right? You gotta remember, you have to put you always have to put yourself 
in the mind of the person involved in the story at the time. Mika and Joe were probably concerned about what would happen when people found out that they were engaged. Would that tank their ratings or would that cause them more concern than than it might otherwise? It's an unknowable thing. So at that point, the National Enquirer would have leverage over them. This is before Trump takes office. I, you also have to remember, at this time, Mika and Joe are sucking Trump's backside on an almost daily basis. There's hit, there's leaked audio of them during a commercial break basically giving Trump fellatio. So they have publicly and privately, they are kissing his orange backside in a huge way. I don't have any problem believing that at some point in that time period, Scarborough, concerned about stories breaking, let's say in the National Enquirer, about their relationship, may have gone to either Trump or Jared Kushner, with whom he's close, Trump's son-in-law, and said, hey, can you help us out here? And who knows whether or not they actually did help them out. But there was never any story in the National Enquirer. But in Trump's mind, let's say that that happened. Let's say that my theory is right. At that moment, Trump, the mob boss, thinks he owns Joe. Because that's the way Trump thinks. I own him because he came to me for help. And I spiked the story for him. So then let's fast forward. By the way, Trump now also knows what Joe's vulnerability is. He doesn't want stories in the National Enquirer about him and Mika. To Trump's mind, that's power. Now, Trump becomes president, and all of a sudden, not coincidentally, because this is the way Scarborough works, his coverage of Trump changes 180 degrees. Because now, in order to survive on MSNBC, he needs to be anti-Trump 100%. Otherwise, he's going to get Greta Van Susterned. See what happened to her this week? She's gone. Trump fan, gone in six months at MSNBC. So, once Trump is elected and actually takes office, the MSNBC audience no longer is amused by Trump. See, during the primaries, they gave Trump hours of free airtime because it was amusing. And they probably thought, crap, Hillary will beat this guy easy. This is no problem. This is awesome. But now he's president. Now it's for real. Now this is, this is some serious shit now. And Trump's pissed off that his buddy, who he thinks he owns, is ripping him on a daily basis with Mika. And he's thinking back to what happened at New Year's Eve when they were still kissing his ass. And he thinks, all right, well, you know, either directly or through the grapevine, hey, the National Enquirer could still run that story. And I could get Joe to kiss my ring in order to prevent it and maybe even get him to stop criticizing me. And Trump's mind, this is like erotic because this is what, this is the stuff that our president cares about. Not making America great again. It's all about his ego and his narcissism. So in my theory, the word does get back to Joe. Hey, um, you know, the national Enquirer is working on this. You're probably aware because they've been stalking Mika's kids and, you know, we could, we could, we could end this for you, Joe. All you got to do is, you know, just call the president and work things out. And I'm sure the language was 
as benign as possible. And I'm sure that Scarborough is exaggerating the language now because it makes for a better story. Because these people, they're dumb, but they're not imbecilic, I don't think. Maybe they are. But this is my theory here. And so at this point, Scarborough thinks we're dealing with a brand new situation. He's not thinking about the past where he may have gotten help from the Trump people. He's thinking this is new. And he's viewing this as blackmail. So maybe in Scarborough's mind, this really was blackmail. In Trump's mind, hey, look, I own your ass. And I'm going to make you dance. Because I do run the National Enquirer. And one of the most interesting things that happened in this story this week, and most people missed it because it happened from Fox News Channel. Fox News Channel came out with a report directly from the White House. By the way, I was told by the Trump people we're not supposed to believe single anonymous sources. Remember that? I was told that specifically with regard to the Washington Post and the New York Times. But apparently, when it suits their purposes, one anonymous person talking to Fox News Channel can, in fact, be taken seriously. And their story was, no, 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 this wasn't blackmail. This was just Jared Kushner saying, hey, maybe you should talk to the president and work it out. Well, the way I read what even Fox News Channel on behalf of the White House was willing to acknowledge was that Kushner was basically telling Joe Scarborough, yeah, Trump does run the National Enquirer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can, we can, <laughs> under the right circumstances, we can make that happen. I mean, that's clearly the implication. That's not the headline somehow. So the truth here is probably somewhere in between, but let's keep in mind something really important. The National Enquirer's MO is to do exactly what Scarborough is claiming here. So I think the truth is probably slightly more on Scarborough's side. And all the proof you need, which I meant reference in this column that I wrote for for Mediate, which again, you can see at freespeechbroadcasting.com, It's almost exactly out of the Tiger Woods playbook. Do people not remember this? And I'll never forget it because I was a huge Tiger Woods fan. This was before the big sex scandal broke. And all of a sudden, Tiger Woods is on the cover of Men's Journal magazine without his shirt. And in in the magazine is him detailing his workout regimen. And I remember very specifically looking at that and going, what the fuck is this? What? What? what?" Because he's at the height of his powers at this point. Uh, And this is not Tiger-like. Tiger is not going to take his shirt off on on a magazine cover. And and he's never talked about his workout regimen before. All of a sudden, he's doing photo shoots about how he works out. This makes no sense. Now, I didn't know what was going on. But it became very clear what was going on later. Because who owns... Men's Journal Magazine, the same company that owns the National Enquirer. And what really was going on? The National Enquirer had the cheating story in horrendous, horrible, grotesque detail. Grotesque detail. I'm not even going to bother you with the details, but the National Enquirer had it as nailed as they possibly could on Tiger. And so what happened was the National Enquirer made a deal and they spiked temporarily they spiked the tiger cheating story in exchange for tiger giving them the men's journal magazine story well that's essentially what scarborough is alleging hey you give us give the president his apology and who knows maybe even be nicer to him on air 
And we'll keep this story that no one gives a crap about, really, (laughs) about Mika and Joe cheating on their spouses. We'll keep that under wraps. By the way, another element that goes to Joe's blackmail theory, why did the National Enquirer end up going with the story? Why did that happen? Is that just an amazing coincidence? They just happened to just recently go with the story? Which I'm sure Trump was aware of and was trying to highlight with his original tweet. Hey, everybody, look at, a, look at Joe and Mika here. So that doesn't make sense to me. That's, that's too much of a coincidence that all of a sudden we have the National Enquirer going with the story after it becomes clear that Scarborough is not going to apologize slash soften his coverage of Trump. Most important part of this whole thing is, first of all, both of these, all these people involved are scumbags. And this proves how broken the news media is in general. And Joe and Mika are celebrating this. It's almost always that way, by the way. The aggrieved are almost now celebrating in this strange new world in which we lived. So Trump did Joe and Mika a favor. They now have their liberal street cred back. They're going to stay at MSNBC for the duration of his presidency. He's also doing CNN a favor, by the way, with that tweet. And more importantly, he's wasting energy. He's wasting the time of people having to defend him. He's wasting the opportunity where he could put the focus on things that actually matter, like, for instance, repealing Obamacare. But no, he has no interest in that. He's He's not disciplined. He doesn't care about that. That's not the stuff that he cares about. That's why he was uniquely unsuited, unqualified to be president of the United States. This was not a mystery. This is not unexpected. This is exactly what we knew. Although even I will acknowledge it's been worse than, worse than I thought. <laughs> I didn't think six months in we would have the president of the United States wrestling CNN to the ground in video form via tweet. Now, there are those who are very outraged about that particular tweet because it's a threat against journalism in general, CNN in particular, journalists in particular. And I can understand that. It's, it seems hypocritical to me that the president, who just a few weeks ago was all upset, understandably so, about Kathy Griffin with her fake head of Donald Trump bloody that supposedly... Trump's son, Barron, 11 years old, thought was real and was all upset about. Okay, fine. But for then Trump and his people to not take responsibility for the threatening nature of what you're you're physically beating up a depiction of CNN in human form, that's hypocritical. In my view, that is clearly hypocritical. But almost everything Trump does is hypocritical. It's unpresidential, and it will have absolutely no effect on anything. <laughs> None. Not going to affect his approval rating. His approval rating, as I have predicted from day one of his presidency, is always going to be between 37 and 42%. Right now, it's about 40%. It's always going to be in that five, barring, you know, some 9-11 magnitude story where people can actually see it for themselves. It's always going to be right there because no one's going to want to admit that they made a mistake about Trump. It's not going to happen. 
And what concerns me most about the the CNN tweet is, my God, this is six months in. Can you imagine what he's going to have to do to push the envelope to get this kind of attention a year from now, two years from now, or if he gets reelected? Can you imagine? Imagine, folks, and this is serious. Can you imagine what a reelected Donald Trump, who's even deeper into his dementia, because now he's deep into his 70s, and he has to compete with a presidential campaign on both sides of the aisle, getting all the media attention. What is Trump going to do in that seventh and eighth year of his presidency in order to get attention? My God. The mind boggles. I mean, he'll be tweeting pornography, for sure. For sure. I mean, that might be tame by year seven. I'm being totally serious here. This, to me, to me, the idea of Trump with no, nothing to restrict him in year seven or eight, having to compete for attention with a presidential campaign is the number one reason he cannot be reelected. Because that will be horrendous in every possible way. Now, a couple other quick things on the news. I didn't reference the CNN resignations on the Russia story. I wrote a column about this. The Russia story, regardless of what the truth is of that story, is not fake news. And in fact, the resignation of those three CNNers is proof of that. Because if it was fake news, CNN would know it was fake news and they wouldn't bother to have anyone forced to resign over a relatively minor incredibly minor element of the Russian narrative. I mean, no one even paid any attention to the story that got retracted and then forced the resignations. So if anything, in a rational world, and I realize everything's the opposite of what it should be, in a rational world, those resignations give CNN credibility. But I list in the column that I wrote about this, again, freespeechbroadcasting.com, all the things that we know for 100% sure that aren't even disputed by the White House that prove the Russia story, regardless of whether there was collusion or what have you, because I don't think we know that yet, is not fake news. And the fact that the president is continuing to claim that it's fake news, to me, is maybe the strongest evidence that there's something to it. Because if there was nothing to this, He would not be as bothered by it as he is. He would not be constantly over the top like he is. He would not be devoting so much energy and time and resources to a war on the media and specifically on CNN. And it's also, by the way, important to point out, it's not just CNN. Yes, CNN CNN is obsessed with Russia. Probably too much so based upon the current factual record. Although I think most of their coverage has been pretty decent. Not perfect. Again, probably a little overblown, but it's an important story, folks. And if Hillary or Obama were being leveled with the same charges, with the same circumstantial evidence, our side would be going batshit crazy on a daily basis, led by Sean Hannity and the rest of the Coulters. Not the Ann Coulters, the Cult 45ers. Who knows where Ann will be on a daily basis, but that's another story for another day. So the reality is that um, I I don't know what happened with Russia. 
I, I still think it's an incredibly important story. It's a foreign enemy interfering with our, elect- our election. And by the way, again, one of those things that makes me think that there's something going on here that's truly nefarious. Why has Trump done nothing that we know of? Nothing to try to stop Russia from ever doing it again. There's been no real punishment. My God, he had a Russian spy in the Oval Office and was laughing and joking around with him and told him he fired Comey to end the Russian investigation. No scolding whatsoever, publicly or privately. This is a big deal, folks. And we're just, conservatives are such unbelievable hypocrites for pretending somehow that this is fake news or it's not a big deal. Baloney. It's a big deal. Do we know what happened yet? No. But we need to find out for the sake of our democracy. Speaking of the sake of our democracy, obviously this is the 4th of July weekend. I, I do want to at least acknowledge, obviously, this is the birth uh, birthday of our country. And, you know, while we are more divided than ever, and one of the best predictions I ever made was in my book, the Death of Free Speech, which came out in 2005, where I discussed media fragmentation at length and how it was going to, to divide America in ways that we couldn't possibly imagine. I, I will say this, it's happened faster and more dramatically than I ever could possibly have uh, predicted. Uh, and, and, you know, Trump's actions this week are a perfect example of this. CNN, which per- tries most of the time to be the straight news network is now considered to be by the right wing, you know, propaganda, fake news, because the president has made his cult believe that MSNBC is far left. Fox is far right. The networks are left. Everybody's got their own little niche and no one knows what to believe because everyone's contradicting each other. Truth doesn't matter. Everyone is more than capable of finding a belief or, a, a, or quote unquote news that backs up whatever they wanted to believe in the first place. And that's the number one problem with humanity and democracy is that we will always gravitate towards quote unquote truths that make us feel better than truths that make us feel uncomfortable. Well, that's not the way the truth works. <laughs> But we're now living in an age where you can pick and choose whatever you want. No matter what you want to believe, you can find something to substantiate that. And that has created enormous divisions in this country. So we are no longer the United States of America. However, on the bright side, I got to tell you, folks, for all of our weaknesses, for all of our frailties, all of our vulnerabilities, in a in a strange way, the Trump presidency so far has also exposed how tremendously strong this country is. And because I, I can't, I'm amazed that we are able to go on effectively like life is pretty much normal. The stock market at all-time high, real estate market nearly all-time high, unemployment low, you know, things could be better, but by and large, we're functioning on a day-to-day basis when we have a lying fucking lunatic as our president. It's amazing. We should all pat ourselves on the back. Good job, America. We're so strong, we can, at least so far, withstand Donald frickin' Trump being our president. That's something to be proud of on this 4th of July holiday. 
All right, last thing I've got to mention, because this is my, you know, bailiwig, my my big story for the last five-plus years. There was a um, major development in a so-called Penn State scandal, which if you know anything about me, you know that I've been embroiled in far too deeply for over five years, that I want to mention. And, folks, th- this story is mind-blowing, regardless of whether you care about the Penn State story or not. Uh, because I, I, what I'm going to tell you is what really happened as opposed to what was portrayed as having occurred. Late on Friday uh, before the holiday weekend started, the Paterno family decided to uh, discontinue their lawsuit against the NCAA for what they had, I believe, correctly perceived as damages created by the NCAA having uh, levied all of these penalties against Joe Paterno and Penn State for the so-called Jerry Sandusky scandal. Now, without getting into all the details, this, of course, was portrayed as, oh, here, yeah, the uh, Paternos were wrong. They had no case. The NCAA even spiked the football in their face with a ridiculous statement implying that they had evidence to show that the original penalties, which, by the way, were revoked. (laughs) The NCAA revoked them, including... Uh, restoring the win record of Joe Paterno as the all-time winningest college football coach. But uh, they put out a statement implying that uh, the evidence had backed up their original penalties. If that's the case, why did they revoke them? Why <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. But that's all bullcrap. Here's what really happened, all right? Political correctness has dictated this case from moment one. Fear, cowardice, and political correctness. And what really motivated the Paternos, and this is not a theory, I know this from the inside, is that Joe Paterno's wife, Sue, and his son, Scott, who was his lawyer in all this, who I've had numerous battles with, who's a frickin' moron, uh, who was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple, uh, who um, has screwed this thing up from the very beginning. They knew that in order to win this lawsuit, they were going to need to discredit the so-called 1970s accusers, there were two of them, one from 1971, one from 1976, which made so much news last week, who supposedly implicated Joe Paterno as having known that Jerry Sandusky was a pedophile back in the 70s and had supposedly told Joe Paterno personally that they had been abused by Jerry Sandusky. Now, this is absurd on its face. If you know anything about anything, it's ridiculous uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, in 1971 and 76, Jerry Sandusky is a freaking nobody. He's a nobody. There's there's not a chance in the world that Joe Paterno or anybody else would have said, oh, you got abused sexually by Jerry Sandusky, my minor assistant coach who no one cares about, <laughs> who has no value to me. I'm going to pretend this didn't happen because it might threaten my ability to win football games. That's just, it's hilarious. Not to mention that the individual stories themselves don't even pass the laugh test. They are completely ludicrous. And that's putting it mildly. Not to mention, here's what really happened. And I know this because I have a fake accuser who purposely went through the settlement system knowingly as a fake accuser to show what a sham it is. And there were three rules for getting money from Penn state. If you were under the age of 30, 
if you were a member of the Second Mile Charity and you had any connection to Penn State at all, you got a check, no questions asked. And most of the time, you got a check for several million dollars. Sometimes you got less, depends on the circumstances. But if you fit in those three categories, you got a check for several million dollars, no questions asked, especially if you were part of the Sandusky trial. Then you got even more money. But if you were older than 30 years old, which is the statute of limitations of Pennsylvania, you had a problem. You needed to bring a stronger connection to Penn State in order for Penn State to pay you. It's interesting and incredibly important to note that the two allegations that claim Joe Paterno knew anything about them are from 1971 and 76 because those two guys had an extra problem. You see, they weren't part of Jerry Sandusky's charity because Jerry Sandusky's charity didn't start until 1977. So if you're too old, which obviously guys from the 70s would be, to be outside the statute of limitations, and you're too old, you were too young at the time to be a, been part of Jerry's charity, now you got two strikes against you. So how are you going to get money from Penn State? Well, on number three, category number three, you got to bring it, and you got to bring it big time. You need a connection to Penn State that will make Penn State go, oh, okay, here's your check. That connection is, I told Joe Paterno. That is 100% the source of these stories. They're flat-out bullshit. They're obviously bullshit. But they got publicized because of a series of circumstances that are highly suspicious and probably planted on purpose. There are members of the Penn State Board of Trustees who believe that it were planted on purpose for a political agenda. And boy, did that agent, boy, the media lapped it up. Oh, my God. The media lapped it up. The media would believe, they would seriously believe if, an, if a Sandusky accuser came forward and said, you know, in 1971, I was on the moon and Joe Paterno sent me to the moon for the express purposes of Jerry being able to abuse me without concern for being caught. It was, a va- it was vacation, and they sent Jerry and me to the moon so he could be abused. In 1971, Frank, hell, if they said it happened in 63, people would probably, before Kennedy even said we're going to the moon, they'd probably still believe it. That's how absurd this is. But it gets worse. So the fear that the paternal family had was, if we go ahead with this lawsuit, we're going to have to destroy these accusers. And they can't do that. Why? Because Sue and Scott, in their stupidity, they already boxed themselves in to, oh, we are so pro-victim. We're going to do everything we can to educate people about how and why this stuff happens. And, you know, we're going to go on Katie Couric and we're going to open a foundation and all that, thinking that the news media would eventually absolve them of their sins. Ha! That was never going to happen, especially once the settlements leaked out and Joe Paterno was specifically implicated, even as ridiculous as that was. So they got scared. Well, so they end up killing their own lawsuit. Well, here's how completely bat crap crazy that is with regard to 1971. 1971 is this entire case encapsulated in a very... Short story. Here's the, fo- here's the deal, folks. And after extensive research, I am 
99% positive that here's what really happened. Here's what the public story is. In 71, some kid gets picked up <laughs> while, while hitchhiking by Jerry Sandusky, and he gets given alcohol and marijuana, and he gets raped at Penn State by Jerry Sandusky. In 1971, and Jerry's a freaking nobody at this point. He's barely been on the staff. Jerry doesn't drink. Jerry doesn't do drugs. The, the, the whole story is absurd. The kid then allegedly tells Joe Paterno. He doesn't come forward forever and ever until way after the story breaks. The money is on the table. He gets a lawyer by the name of Andrew Shubin, who's the most unscrupulous scrupulous lawyer in this whole thing. And CNN does a story on him. Sarah Ganim, who ends up winning the Pulitzer Prize in this story and ends up getting a job at CNN because of the Pulitzer Prize, even though she was actually part of why this story went down the way that it did and the Pulitzer Prize should be revoked uh, without even any debate. She interviews this 71 guy. As part of the story, which they did before all these leaks happened, but they didn't publish, which tells you there's something wrong, They did a story that they didn't publish for six months. They did a video interview with this guy. They never aired. Why? Well, because there's a problem. There's a lot, major problem. But what did they, who did Sarah Ganim interview as corroborating evidence for this 71 story? A guy by the name of Bernard McHugh. You don't know who Bernard McHugh is, but if you ever get a chance, watch the movie Happy Valley, a supposed documentary about this saga. He is a crazy person. I'm talking 100% crazy. Insane. An insane person who despises Joe Paterno. Well, cutting all the crap, here's what really happened. There was no 1971 uh, accusation against Jerry Sandusky. Joe Paterno was never told about it. But 1971 was abused. Guess who he was abused by? Bernard McHugh. Bernard McHugh has abused, I believe, several people. He had this particular guy, 1971, held up in an apartment as a teenager because he had no parents, paid for his apartment, sexually abused him, remained friends with him all these years later, and because of his hatred of Paterno, And because this guy, 71, had sued other big pocket entities numerous times previously, was wedded to going along with the scam, McHugh put 71 up to this. And he effectively tells the story of McHugh's abuse of him with the alcohol and the marijuana applying, which I believe was McHugh's MO. So here we have, in this upside-down world, This guy gets paid for a lie. McHugh gets used as CNN source when he's the actual perpetrator. And this entire story ends up forcing the Paternos to drop their lawsuit because they're afraid of discrediting this flying fraud because it would be politically incorrect. Now, that's some crazy stuff, folks. But that's this story in a nutshell. That's what really happened. By the way, speaking of alcohol applying, a couple weeks ago, one of the guys who got paid money by Penn State sued his lawyer because he believed his lawyer plied him with alcohol to get him to sign the Penn State settlement for too little money. 
which I found hilarious because it's the only accusation I'm aware of in the entire case of alcohol plying, which is normally the MO of every pedophile in this situation. When you've got teenage boys, you give them alcohol, you give them drugs, you give them money, and that's how you get them plied up for abuse. By the way, Jerry and Jerry Sanusky and Donnie Sanusky don't even know who this person is. They've never met him. He also happens to be a black guy, which would have stood out <laughs> in central Pennsylvania in the Second Mile Charity. It's also probably why Penn State decided to pay him. Oh, well, he's a black guy. It's, he says Sandusky abused him, uh, even though, by the way, he has an incredibly long uh, legal record of having committed serious criminal offenses, including fraud, lying, all sorts of crap. I mean, total scumbag, complete scumbag, and he's a winner, suing for more money. If you're curious about more on this insane story, my website is framingpaterno.com. That's www.framingpaterno.com. All right, stay tuned for hour number two, our interview with Evan McNullen, former presidential candidate. We're looking forward to that. Uh, Please make sure that you do just two things I ever ask of you. Share this uh, podcast via social media, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. And uh, number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.